The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. This is a recording of our Parami session on truth from our online Zoom session. Unfortunately, we forgot to turn on the recording until in the middle of Jennifer's talk on honesty. So we're joining her in mid-anecdote. She was talking about a time when she was honest about a bit of youthful pot smoking during her job interview with the Navy, and as a result, she didn't get an assignment that she wanted. Long story short, I, I had a lot of resentment for years, years, decades about this. I didn't get the school I wanted. My whole career in this Navy was ah, la, 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 and I would tell everybody about this. But, you know, when I reflected on this over time, especially through a Buddhist lens, I thought, oh, so I told the truth. And my belief was that that um, resulted in something that I didn't want and something negative. But when I look at this, I think, oh, but look at all the amazing things that happened to me as a result. I got stationed on a ship. Um, I won't go into it, but I met some amazing people. And my life uh, was maybe even better as a result of me saying the truth. So that really helped me to understand that, okay, saying the truth, and trusting the outcome. Um, and again, we're gonna, you know, you saw the handouts. There's all sorts of discernment. We don't just go blasting truth onto people, but, you know, using discernment. That being honest is, um, as the Buddha would say, onward leading. It is always onward leading. It always leads to peace and freedom. And I think about, my experience in the Navy every time I um, consider this. So lastly, making sure we stay a little bit um, on time. We talked about, one of the handouts talked about self-honesty and, and Chris mentioned that in her guided meditation. So Gil has this quote and it says, Self-honesty, he wrote, this is so important that we can safely say as an absolute truth in Buddhist practice that deceiving oneself is never acceptable. And every time I see the word never, it gets my attention. So in Buddhist practice, deceiving oneself is never acceptable. Practitioners strive to be impeccably honest with themselves. And I have found this to be true. Um, one of the things in the world of recovery, 12-step recovery, which is foundational, is honesty. Um, that we are asked to be at least honest with ourselves and one other person. And I love this guideline. It has helped me throughout the years. Um, because there's a, we talk about the fact that we're as sick as our secrets. And I do, I've had the experience, you know, that lying and not being honest, it does, it affects me. It affects my body and mind. So you could say, you know, it, it makes us sick in some ways. So we're as sick as our secrets. And um, that honesty is mandatory even starting with oneself and then if possible one other person that we can trust just because there's a a kind of cleansing and um, sense of freedom that can be found in telling at least one other person so it's not all in our body and holding it ourselves so once again this sounds like it's very simple but not always easy and um, as many of us have experienced, including myself, um, the reason for that is that the, the mind is so amazingly tricky. And this is where delusion comes up. You know, there's these rationalizations. So 
in the movie that I mentioned, Parasite, you know, his, uh, he had a rationalization of why he needed to lie. Um, my mind rationalizes sometimes like, well, that's not, that's not really a lie. I mean, there's, you know, so this is going into partial truth, you know, and, and being really, this is where mindfulness is so important. So even self-honesty, which is easy to say, but to, to practice, I find for me anyway, especially, um, you know, as fast as life moves, wow, I have to be really mindful. Like, is that really true? Is that really how I feel? Is that, is that really what I wanted to say? So there's these partial truths and there's, you know, uh, these lying by omission or uh, as um, Ajahn Susito says, I love this, um, maybe being more economical with the truth. <laughs> That's a, a great way of saying it. So I will close by saying that um, the one of the motivations that I hold in terms of being honest amongst the many is that honesty transforms character. That honesty transforms our character, which is really beautiful. All the parmis are about the, the character, the qualities of our heart. So being honest transforms our character. And I really you know, experience in my own life how, how this is so and how it truly affects and impacts all the other part of me. And especially in this time right now of what's going on in the world, um, the parami of honesty, which is also um, known as a component of right speech, it is one of the five faultless gifts. So it is a gift of safety when I'm honest about where I've been and who I've been in contact with and how I, and that impacts how safe others um, are around me right now at this point in time or not, right? So, the, so being honest and right speech to myself and others um, is a gift, is an absolute gift. So, the breakout group, the discussion and the question I offer you, so to just take a moment as I read the question, to feel and sense into yourself what comes up for you when I ask this question. What motivates you to be less than honest? Maybe partial truth, lying by omission. What motivates you to be less than honest? And I also want to offer an option um, because I don't know how everyone is feeling this morning in their body, mind, or spirit. And I want to be sensitive to that. So if it is um, more useful um, or if it makes more sense for you to answer the question, what motivates you to be honest, then that's okay too. So you can choose one of them. What motivates you to be less than honest? What motivates you to be honest? And you can let it all flow in your groups to see how that, that goes. Okay, so I'll set up groups. I'll try to set up different groups. And we'll take, let's see, where are we here? I think we're okay because we have some time built in at the end and we're, we're not so bad off, but we'll run, we'll run, a, we'll spend again about the same amount of time, which is about 12 minutes in the groups. So be sure and share, you know, maybe put in one thing and then let the next person talk. So we're not so much going for three monologues as one thing that, one thing that strikes you one way or another and then let the other person put in something and you might get around a couple of times. Okay. So let's try that format. And I will see what happens here. Okay.
Yeah, it looks looks pretty pretty complete here. Yeah. Well, I would love to hear how it went for your groups. Um, I loved our group, and actually, <laughs> I'm loving. The honest truth is, I'm loving being part of the groups this time. So this is nice. <laughs> Um, so who would like to share anything uh, they're comfortable with about what it was like in your group? And you'll have to unmute. Well, I'll just... Uh confirm what you said Jennifer I love being part of the group I've never spoken with Lori before and it was uh, it was great to I feel it gets to know her a little bit and we had a great group it was very dynamic and, and everybody had great stuff to say Mitra had her hand up can you unmute yourself yeah good uh, it was just um, Anne and I in the group, or at least that's who I, and we didn't, we couldn't um, hear each other for for a first few minutes. But anyway, one thing that I, I shared was that um, selfishness um, motivates me to not to be less than truthful. And that I always go back and forth about, is it really selfishness or am I trying to take care of myself? And that I feel like I justify it a lot of times or that there's a fine line between selfishness and trying to take care of myself. So that's what I discussed. And Anne was talking about how... Um, um, not being completely kind of making look making herself look better than she really is at times um, is how she is not 100% truthful thank you Mitra mm -hmm. yeah I um, I have a whole list of things that um, motivate me to be less than honest, and those are both on my list. So, and um, one of the things that I didn't mention, but that reminds me of what you said, is that sometimes, you know, in terms of self-care and taking care of ourselves, and sometimes it's hard to come up with the words that accurately reflect our truth when we want to communicate to someone, um, that we want to take care of ourselves, and like, well, how is that going to sound? And so, anyone else, Morgan? You're unmuted. Are you gonna share? I was just, I was just sitting here because one of the things about having these groups like this is I have my notepad right here. So, I was just thinking in our group, I um, part of the reason that motivates me to not be truthful is trying to control the situation or control another person's reality which in invert or control helps me control my situation which is um trying to and then another reason that i don't tell the truth is because i'm trying to prop up my some identity that i'm really really clinging to that i need to um to be or or look like and that's um the non the selfing so and then the third thing is out of my own suffering is i tell i don't tell the truth which is dupa so the three characteristics, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's causing me to be not truthful. I just put that together. I was like, oh my gosh, it call, they fall into dealing with those three things. A lot of my reasons for not being truthful. Yeah, beautiful. Great, thank you. Love that. Um, I am noticing the time and um, I'm, I'm thinking the honest truth is I think we probably need to take a break so we make sure we give David enough time. So thank you so much everyone for participating and it looks like at right now we have a scheduled break and 
five, ten minutes, five minutes. Yeah, is five minutes enough? Or okay, all right. Let's try to come back in in five minutes. Yeah, that would be uh, oh about three after eleven. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <More or less. laughs> all right. We'll see you then. Okay. All right. So um, I'm going to talk about this sutra that I sent out about the four Brahman truths. And it's all about conceivings, um, how conceivings of the mind are, are um, deceptive, are untrue. And I'm also, I was just thinking how what I'm going to say uh, is all these are all conceivings of my mind <laughs> and, <Okay. laughs> and, and uh, you know it's like i hope i can connect with some conceivings in your minds but they're just where all of our minds are so different all of our concepts are so individual all the concepts that go that flood our minds you know this constant kind of darkness of thinking 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 concepts they're so karmic, they're so completely individual um, based on our, you know, our karma, our familial, social, cultural uh, backgrounds. So the way you think, the way your habits of mind are very particular and unique to you and, and it's an important practice uh, it's not emphasized that much, I don't think, but it's a very important practice, I think, to inquire into your mind, to actually inquire, look at your concepts, look at what your thoughts are. We all want to get away from our thoughts. We want to come into our bodies. And, and that's a noble pursuit. That's great. But also, if we can inquire into our own particular concepts of mind, what we do, that can be very helpful in us getting, seeing the falseness of our concepts and getting sick of our concepts. Seeing the falseness of our concepts and seeing how they cause us suffering, how they hurt us, how, and the, the um, something might arise in us like, I don't want this anymore. A couple of days ago, um, I was meditating in the morning and I was aware that the stock market had crashed. That was the day it, day it went down 10% or something like that. And it was, uh, and fear was in me. And I was seeing these are certain concepts in my mind. You know, I, I need, to take care of my family. I do the investing for my daughter and grand, grandsons. And so fear was arising in me. And I could see these were my own particular concepts that are arising in me. And, and I work with that. I work with that viewpoint. That, and, and then the thought arose in me. This is just kind of came out of the blue. You can't buy happiness or something like that. Or money doesn't bring happiness. <laughs> Very ordinary, simple, <laughs> conventional truth. And it relieved me. And, but I, I was so aware of what was going in my mind, the, the, the pictures, the concepts that were going through my mind was being reflected in suffering in my body. And once I could let go of those concepts that were going through my mind and come more into my body, it was so dramatic. There's peace in the body. The flooding of concepts in the mind is what causes us stress and suffering. It's what we experience. So, um, this is from uh, the Buddha. The tides of conceiving, 
tides of conceiving. I love that image. It's like these tides of conceivings that run through our mind. Um, do not sweep over one who stands upon these foundations of truth. And when the tides of conceiving no longer sweep over him, he is called a sage at peace. I am, I am is a conceiving. I am this is a conceiving. I shall be as a conceiving. I shall not be as a conceiving. I shall be a body and so forth. Conceiving is a disease. Conceiving is a tumor. Conceiving is a dart. By overcoming conceivings, one is called a sage at peace. So I directly experienced that. I overcame my conceivings and I became, a, I'll say it, a sage at peace. This is also from the Buddha. That which is true is that which has an undeceptive nature. Thinking concepts have deceptive nature. It is for the sake of Nibbana without clinging that the holy life is lived under the blessed one. Just as the river Ganges inclines toward the sea, slopes toward the sea, flows toward the sea and reaches the sea, so too the Buddha's assembly with its homeless ones and householders inclines toward Nibbana, flows toward Nibbana. So as we let go of these conceivings and come back into our body, we're flowing toward Nibbana. So I said, we all have our own individual habits of mind and it's great to understand what they are. But in this sutra, the four truths, the Buddha outlined, he put them in categories. And I think these categories are great because for a couple of reasons. One is you can put your cat, you can put the conceivings that you're thinking at any point in time into one of these categories. And by putting your conceivings into categories, these one of these three categories, you can be assured the kind of thinking that you're doing has been done for at least 2,600 years, <laughs> because that's when the Buddha wrote this. So this normalizes our habits of mind. This is normal. This is what it is to be a human. This is normal to concern ourselves with pleasures, to concern ourselves with identities, and to concern, concern ourselves with belonging and not belonging, excuse me. So um, the category about pleasures, you could say that, well, that would be like, you know, am I worrying about the stock market, about money? Would I, you know, have enough money? Uh, would would uh, someone might concern themselves, well, will I have enough money to even take care of myself when I get, when my money runs out? Um, concerns with sensual pleasures, concern with, Sexual, sensual displeasures, discomfort, pain, uh, concerns with about getting sick, concerns about your house, your car, cup of coffee, a piece of chocolate, all obsessions with sensual concerns, and there are many. People have obsessions about food, alcohol, drugs, vacation people can get really carried away about a lot of a lot of these issues and the truth is all sensual pleasures are impermanent you can't hold on to any one of them very long like that thought about the market in my mind went away and my body's still here pieces still here these are all just flitting concepts that go through the mind So speaking thus, 
this is the truth, this is not false. This, but these are all just concepts, impermanent. And then we, uh, when we realize, well, I'll put that, that second section off for, because I'll go to the next section and, and then the, the rest of his reflections will become more apparent. So the next reflections are on becoming, on identities. We spend a lot of our, a lot of our concepts about, are about social issues, who people think we are, what groups think we are, are we liked, are we disliked, are we approved of, are we being criticized, did someone, the way they looked at me, did they think something, some concept that I can have about myself in my mind? Does this group approve of me? Am I an outsider in this group? Something that I said, how did that affect that person? So we have these very temporary little glories. Someone says something nice to us, someone approves of us that we want, who we want their approval. So we, we have a temporary glory or a group recognizes us and we have a temporary glory. But in that temporary glory, there's also intrinsic is the fading away of that glory. So we get nervous about that. So there's suffering even in these temporary glories. And there certainly is suffering in the criticism or the judgment or you know, the, the pain of rejection. These are concepts of the mind. That's all they are, the tides of conceiving. And again, the Buddha says, all states of existence becoming are impermanent, suffering, and subject to change. Speaking truth, this is the truth, not falsehood. And then he repeats, there are four verses here. In every verse he repeats, this one point. So it makes one think this is a very important point. He does not conceive of himself as being better than someone else. I love this, the, the truth, the, the complete freeing truth of this statement. He does not conceive of himself as being worse than anyone else. So you're not better than anybody else. You're not worse than anybody else. In fact, you're not the same as anybody else. Because these identities are just conceptions that keep changing. So in that sense, you are nothing. So contemplating this way and contemplating how we can, how suffering is created through these conceptions of becoming, through these conceptions of sensual pleasures, we can become if we really look at them and feel them and understand what they're doing to us, we can become exhausted. We can become spiritually exhausted with them. So he uses the words, having directly known the truth, he is practicing simply for disenchantment, disenchantment with sensual pleasures. This, these, are not going to, these concepts are not going to bring me any kind of happiness. They're only going to bring me pain and suffering. Disenchantment with becoming. For their fading away, through our disenchantment, through our, through our exhaustion, they fade away, and through their cessation. He also um, describes a, another category by the way, these are, um, what I'm talking about are the eight worldly winds, which some of you are familiar with, I'm sure, and which we're going to probably have a class about it after this class. So I hope you, will, you can all come to the class on the eight worldly winds where we'll explore all of these in depth. The last category, this was new to me. Um, I am not... 
anywhere the belonging of any one, or nor is there anywhere anything in any place that is mine. But that I'm not the belonging of anyone. Well, that's a relief. There's a t-shirt and it, had, it said on the t-shirt, when mom is happy, everybody's happy. <laughs> the opposite of that phrase is when mom is not happy, nobody's happy. So it's best not to be too, you know, attached to, to mama, to, to, you know, to a spouse, to children, to any of, you know, our, our loved ones. We don't belong to them and they don't belong to us. So our true love is truth. Our deepest love is truth. We can love our families. We can love our houses. We can love our, you know, friends. But our deep love is for the Dharma, is for the truth. Another phrase I want to point out is um, in each of these, he says that we are not spiritual. See how he says that. Um, He does not, on that account, misconceive of himself, herself, as a spiritual being. So we're spiritual practitioners, and and we we can get into trouble with this identity. We can get into trouble just in our meditations. We can think I'm a failure in meditation. I'm just thinking all the time. I can never do this. Or we can have some epiphany. We can have some silence, we can have some light, and we can think, I'm I'm just the most amazing spiritual being. But these things all change. You'll have one sitting where you're maybe enthralled or peaceful or silent, and you come back and you're just thinking all the time. So not even to it, don't not not to attach to any spiritual identity. So all of these are. All of these conceptions are what we could call samsara, the darkness of our lives. But there is another uh, contemplation that is that we should give equal weight to, not just to the deceptions in our lives, not just to the concepts. We should give equal um, contemplation or maybe even more contemplation to what is true. And the very first truth that he cites here is what is true. The way he says it is all living beings are to be spared. Speaking thus, a Brahmin speaks truth. The truth of, there is the truth of not harming This is not a conception. This is the body of the Buddha, non-harming, awareness, kindness, love. So when we come into our bodies, when we come out of the the conceptual mind that's divisive, that's dualistic, and we come into our bodies, when we come into our hearts, we experience, maybe temporarily, yes, temporarily for sure, we experience some sense of unity, some openness, some boundlessness, some spaciousness, which includes love, which includes kindness, which includes, you could say, your own divinity or your own goodness becomes apparent. So when we come into our awareness, when we come into our bodies, this is to be contemplated as true. And when we come into the body of truth, when we come into our goodness, then having directly known the truth, she is practicing simply out of sympathy and compassion for all living beings. 
So I'm going to say a phrase that will embody this truth. And I would like, maybe like you to say this phrase to yourself and just see how it feels. Maybe close your eyes. Just a very simple phrase that you've heard many times before. May all beings be happy. May all beings be happy. Opening your heart, opening your body boundlessly. May all living beings be happy. So that's truth. You can open your eyes now. That is what is true. And the conceptions are what prevent this truth. So, um, as a question to take to your groups, um, what gets in the way? Is that okay? If that's not okay, could you raise your hand and I'll try to describe it more? What gets in the way? What gets in the way of your experiencing the truth of peace and well-being and happiness of non-duality? What are, what are your habits of mind? We all have tons of habits of mind, but maybe, you know, pick out, you know, we're going to go around. Maybe if whatever you'd like, you don't, don't share anything you don't feel comfortable sharing but whatever you feel like sharing with each other in this Sangha, what gets in the way of you experiencing the peace and well-being of truth? Still unclear, raise your hand. Okay, let's uh, do a breakout. Well, that ended rather abruptly. Sorry about that, Anne. I don't know. If everybody's sessions just got cut off like that, I apologize. I don't quite know how to do this. <laughs> so, our session ended very abruptly in mid-sentence. Anyway, I thought they gave us a warning, but I, I didn't see it this time. It, it was fine. We had a good session, and it worked out okay. better again. So um, I forgot, <laughs> to, as part of my question, <laughs> Light now, isn't it? Um, how do you practice with what is um, holding you back or what's preventing you? Um, I forgot that. I hope, and our group organically kind of went into that, but I hope others explored how you practice with what's holding you back. But uh, I'd love to hear anything, you know, any, any of the wisdom that was. Uh, um, divulged in your groups. I, I've just been having such an interesting experience with um, watching Sankaras, which I don't know if I'm defining this right, but with um, like predispositions or dispositions of the mind to get kind of get swept up. And, um, and I was saying in the group, it's like, whenever I hear bagpipes, I am immediately overcome with emotion. If I see, if think about a funeral or something, I, I get overcome. And I was saying, if, when I watch a commercial, see a commercial, these emotions will just come over me. And as I, I was saying, I saw, I noticed it watching one particular commercial and I was like, this is crazy. It's just, I've, I'm overtaken and tears are coming to my eyes and I noticed it. And then I, I've started to watch it, how it, those happen in life on smaller scales. And it's such a relief to see it because a lot of times I was also sharing that I wake up there and I get anxious pretty immediately. And that it's a, it's a, my mind is, is taking over from being able to see the truth, I'm just immediately in a state of, you know, worry. And I have had a, such a hard time trying to figure out where that's coming from or how to break the cycle. But seeing that, um, seeing that that's what's happening has been so amazing. Like so many other things in the, pra in, in the 
path. It's just this, I guess it's dispositions of the mind, right? Conceptions of the mind that are, that are just happening that keep you from seeing the truth. That are your very own. Mm -hmm. Particular yep. to you. No one else has those. Mm -hmm. But they're the same as everybody else's in, in another way. Uh, one time at IMC, there was a guest teacher, and somebody asked a question. He said, uh, I real, I'm, I'm looking at my thoughts. I've been examining my thoughts, and I think everything I think is a habit. I thought that was great. <laughs> yeah get swept away in the habits of our conceivings. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, David, you said, I, I wrote it down, the tides of conceiving, getting swept away. Yeah. Anyone else wanna share with us? Uh, thank you for the <laughs> session today. It's been really helpful. And more than that, very wonderful exploration uh, around truth. Uh, for me, I have been, that have been a really centralized uh, uh, part of my life ever since I started remembering. So it's been really helpful even especially the today's meeting. Uh, so many things in these uh, three breakout groups I was able to reflect on and uh, yeah, it's, it's really a practice of, uh, of dharma just to be truthful, to be truthful with ourselves and especially uh, while meditating, it's really, really important to be, to be honest to ourselves, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's all I have to share. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll just mention one thing that was shared by a couple of people in our group, which is um, that bowing to the Buddha can be a support in, in one's, you know, aspiration, just bowing um, with some, with an aspiration, with wanting, wanting to, um, some devotion, some devotional practice, because it's not easy. You know, our habits of mind are so powerful so, so to having some dedication by, by uh, some spiritual practice, religious practice, like bowing to the Buddha or even asking the Buddha for help. Not that it's something external, but you know, the Buddha is inside of us. Kuan Yin is inside of us. But we can ask our goodness to help us in the form of a Buddha. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you. So, um, we've got just a few minutes left here. I, 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 if there any, anybody have any ideas on how this might go more smoothly or is it, is it okay? Shall we keep doing it this way if uh, the situation, situation. continues? 
This is okay. This works very well. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we'll get. I'll, I'll research a few more things about how the breakout groups work. And <laughs> <laughs> did everybody succeed? And did anybody have any? Everybody found their group breakout groups, right? And was they were yeah. able to speak? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Good. <clears throat> Okay, maybe we can just sit for another minute, have a little closing sitting and uh, just reconnecting. If our heads have gone out and merged into the screen here, maybe we can reconnect with our own space and find your own body and your own grounding. Take a couple breaths. And take some more after that and keep breathing. Just reflect a little on what's been meaningful for you today. What's inspiring? A greater sense of the truth being something we can really trust. It's a refuge, something we can trust and rely on and find maybe a sense <clears throat> of devotion to. our inner truth, our ability to know all the truth of what's going on for us. And then based on that, finding wise ways to communicate. But the important thing is to know that knowing is safe and it's a refuge and a source of wisdom and source of joy. source of strength, source of orientation in our lives. Okay, may all the goodwill that we may have generated today by meeting in this way and reflecting on our relationship with the truth, may that be a source of joy and strength and well-being for ourselves, and may it be shared with the whole world right now as a guiding light through these difficult times. May those who are sick be well. May those who are healthy stay well. May we all find peace and joy and equanimity no matter what happens. So next month we'll take up the study of the parami of resolve, which is this very clear, strong intention to, well, we'll be exploring what the word means, but anyway, resolve is next. And um, thank you all for joining in this experiment.
It'd be lovely to see you live next time, but I'm glad this works and we'll keep doing this. If this is what we can do, we'll do it. So thank you all. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Maybe thank Jennifer you. and David can stay on and we can have a little discussion <laughs> after this ends. Yep, sounds good. All right, thank you all. Bye-bye. Thank you. <laughs> Bye, Amy. Bye, Amy. <laughs> How do I exit? <laughs> uh, leave meeting. There there's an end meeting. End meet, there's, a, there's a leave meeting somewhere button on there. But wow. Usually bottom right. Right. Got it. Bye, you guys. Thank you, yeah. teacher. Thank you. Bye. I'm going yeah, I'm gonna, okay, I think everybody's getting it here. I'm gonna end you if I can, end a few people who are still, no, can't do that. Hmm. 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 Oh, yeah. That there's no option for, huh, that's interesting. There's no option to uh, allow people to, well, I'm going to end a couple of people. Oh, I hope oh. it turn out to be a, a, some kind of banning from me. <laughs> but anyway, we'll see. Uh, I think that was awesome. And so, Chris, I at some point because I'm going to do this for another group. Was yeah. it com was it complex to do the breakout groups? I hear it's not easy. Well, it wasn't so bad. It, I figured out a couple of things. Um, I wish they had a way to say make groups of three, but they didn't. They have how many groups do you want to split people into? And so I, as the first time I probably had four people a piece because I thought I was, it was saying the opposite. But so you have to, but then it does say, okay, that will make groups of three or four. So before you make it go, you could, you know, if you want to play with it right now while there's three of us on here, bring up your break. Do you have the breakout rooms thing? Yeah, so let me see. Breakout Bring it up and you can see what it looks like. Okay, where do I find the breakout rooms? Let's see. Well, it might, maybe you don't have it. I would think you would as a co-host. It's an item on the bottom row for me. Oh, yeah. It only says invite, partic manage, participant, share, chat, and pause and record. Oh, speaking of pause and record, shoot. <laughs> okay. If you're still listening to this recording, apologies. This recorded into a little follow-up meeting of the teachers, and I'm turning it off now. Thank you for your patience. <laughs>